So there we go. All right. Um, I wanted to point out this resource, readscripture.org. If you go to readscripture.org, you can find a great app that helps you read scripture. Um, it is available on the App Store or the Play Store, and it is just like a, a yearly Bible program. Like you, To read the whole Bible in a year, you start, it's just sequential. It goes Genesis through the end. But the thing that's really good about it is it has a lot of videos built into it and helpful aids. Um, it gives you a, like a video for every book of the Bible, kind of a description. And we're going to look at one of those today, a portion of one for Luke, so you can kind of get the flavor of what it's like. Um, and, and some of them, like the book of Luke, there's actually two videos. There's part one and a part two. Genesis has a part one, part two. Exodus, part one, part two, because they're so long. Um, it does these kind of like doodle drawings, and you'll see. And then there's other videos spread throughout there, too. Um, kind of thematic videos about a, a biblical concept. Um, so it's just, and it's free. It's just like these people um, who put it out are nonprofit, and it's, it's pretty well done. Um, you know, we may, I may not agree with every single per- thing that they say, but I don't agree with every single thing I said like five years ago. So, like, let's just be chill, right? It's a very good resource. Uh, resource. So, um, so let's, that, that, that's where I'm going to get this video from that I wanted to show you. So, I spend half the time trying to find my cursor. Um, all right, so here we go. That's what it feels like, anyway. Um, let's look at, we're doing the Gospel of, of Luke, right? So we're going to look at their video from Luke. According to Luke. It's one of the earliest... Just the first about three minutes here. Oh, is it going to make me load it again? I had it loaded up from home. Come on, you can do it. You can do it, little computer. Please. Please. The Gospel according to Luke. It's one of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life, and it's actually part one of a unified two-volume work, Luke Acts. If you compare the opening lines of both of these books, it's clear that they come from the same author. And there are internal clues in the book of Acts, as well as an early tradition that identifies the author as Luke, the traveling companion and co-worker of Paul the Apostle, who we know was also a doctor. Luke opens his work with a preface, telling us how and why he wrote this book. He acknowledges that there's many other fine accounts of Jesus' life out there, but he wanted to go back to the eyewitness traditions of as many early disciples as he could in order to produce what he calls an orderly account about the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now that word fulfilled shows us why Luke wrote this account. For him, the story of Jesus isn't just ancient history. He wants to show how it's the fulfillment of the long covenant story of God and Israel, and bigger than that, of the story of God and the whole world. The book's design is fairly clear. There's a long introduction that sets up the stories of John the Baptist and Jesus. Then in chapters 3 to 9, Luke presents a robust portrait of Jesus and his mission in his home region of Galilee. After that, the large midsection of the book is Jesus' long journey to Jerusalem, which leads to the story's climax, Jesus' final week in Jerusalem leading up to his death and resurrection, which then leads on into the book of Acts. In this video, we're just going to focus on the first half of Luke's Gospel. The extended introduction tells in parallel the birth stories of John the Baptist and Jesus. So you have this elderly priestly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then this young unmarried woman, Mary and Joseph. They both receive an unlikely divine promise that they're going to have a son. 
Both promises are fulfilled then, as John and then Jesus are born, and both parents sing poems of celebration. Now these poetic songs, they're filled with echoes from the Old Testament, psalms and prophets, showing how these children will fulfill God's ancient promises. But these poems also preview each child's role in the story to follow. So John is the prophetic messenger promised in the Torah and the prophets who's going to prepare Israel to meet their God. And Jesus, he's the messianic king promised to David, who's going to bring God's reign over Israel and God's blessing to the nations, just like he promised to Abraham. After this, Mary brings Jesus to the Jerusalem temple for his dedication, and two elderly prophets, Anna and Simeon, they see Jesus and they recognize who he is. And Simeon sings his own song, a poem inspired by the prophet Isaiah. He says, this child is God's salvation for Israel, and he will become a light to the nations. So with all of this anticipation, the story moves forward into the next main section, where Luke presents Jesus and his mission. He sets the stage with John's renewal movement of the Jordan River, where he's calling a new, repentant, recommitted Israel into existence through baptism. He's preparing for the arrival of God's kingdom. And then Jesus appears as the leader of this new Israel, and he's marked out by the Spirit and the voice of God from heaven. He is the beloved Son of God. After this, Luke follows with the genealogy, and it traces Jesus' origins back to David, then back to Abraham, and then all the way back to Adam from the book of Genesis. Luke's claiming here that Jesus is the messianic king of Israel who will bring God's blessing, but not only to Israel, the family of Abraham. He is here for all the sons of Adam, for all humanity. After this, Luke has strategically placed the story of Jesus going to his hometown, Nazareth, where he launches his public mission. At a synagogue gathering, Jesus stands up and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and freedom for the prisoners, new sight for the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. Now, along with the other Gospels, Jesus is presented here, he's the messianic king bringing the good news of God's kingdom. But what Luke uniquely highlights are the social implications of Jesus' mission. So he brings freedom. The Greek word is aphasis. It literally means release, and it refers to the ancient Jewish practice of the year of Jubilee described in Leviticus 25. It's when all Israelite slaves were released, when people's debts were canceled, when land that was sold is returned back to families. It's all a symbolic reenactment of God's liberating justice and mercy. And then Jesus says that this good news of release is specifically for the poor. Now, in the Old Testament, the poor, or in Hebrew, ani, it's a much broader category than just people who don't have very much money. It refers also to people of low social status in their culture, like people with disabilities or women and children and the elderly. It also can include social outsiders, like people of other ethnic groups, or people whose poor life choices have placed them outside acceptable religious circles. And Jesus says that God's kingdom is especially good news for these people. So after this, Luke immediately puts in front of us a large block of stories, showing us what Jesus' good news for the poor looks like. It involves the healing of a bedridden sick woman, or a man who has a skin disease, or someone who's paralyzed. There are stories here also about Jesus' what All right, we're going to stop here. Um, it's a lot. kind of gets you uh, a whole lot of information pretty quickly. But it's also helpful uh, if you go back and see their, um, their structure they outline. Let's see if I can find the picture. Something like this. 
where they, they fill it all in as they go, you know, and then you can actually get big, huge PDFs of this for free, and you can print them off on big posters, and you can have them and color them if you wish. Um, so, but uh, it's a good resource. Um, it's really helpful to me. Uh, I, I enjoy watching them a lot. But we're probably only going to get through one and two today. And something they do, especially, so this is their website here. The, this is like a tandem website uh, with the other one. This, this is called BibleProject.com. And this is where all their, their videos are housed that kind of show up in that Read Scripture app. Um, so, they have a special series, a Luke-Acts mini-series. And it's divided up into different videos. So we're going to watch the first one a bit um, to kind of focus, focus us in on these first two chapters which we're going to kind of cover today. The Gospel of Luke. Luke investigated many of the earliest eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and then composed this account. And the story begins up in the hills of Jerusalem, the place where Israel's ancient prophets said that God himself would come one day to establish his kingdom over all the earth. In this city is the temple run by the priests, and one of them, named Zechariah, was working in the temple when he had a vision that freaks him out. An angel appears and says that he and his wife will have a son. What's this all about? Well, Zechariah and his wife, we're told, are very old. They've never been able to have children. And Luke's setting up a parallel here with Abraham and Sarah, the great ancestors of Israel, because they too were very old and could never have kids. Yet God gave them a son, Isaac, which is how the whole story of Israel began. And so Luke's implying here that God's about to do something that significant for this people once again. The angel tells Zechariah to name the son John. And then he says that the son's going to fulfill a promise of Israel's ancient prophets that somebody would come one day to prepare Israel to meet their God when he arrived to rule in Jerusalem. Because right now, Jerusalem is ruled by the Romans. Yeah, specifically, it's governed by a man named Herod, who's a puppet king under the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people wanted nothing more than to be free and govern themselves in their own land. So this is shocking news. Everything's going to change. God's on his way. But how is he going to arrive? Well, to find out, Luke takes us out of Jerusalem and then up into a small town in the hills of an out-of-the-way region called Galilee. And there we find a young woman named Mariam, or we call her Mary. She was engaged to be married. And then an angel appears to Mary, saying that she's going to have a son. She's supposed to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he will be a king like David, who will rule over God's people forever. And then Mary asks, okay, well, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And she's told that the same Holy Spirit that brought life and light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is going to generate life inside her womb. God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception and the birth of the Messiah. And so Mary goes from some backwoods, no-name girl to the future mother of the king. Exactly. In fact, she sings a song about how this reversal of her own social status points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. So when Mary was really pregnant, she and her fiancé, Joseph, had to go down to Bethlehem. Yeah, there was a decree across the Roman Empire about new taxes, and so everybody had to go get registered in the town of their family line. There were so many visitors in Bethlehem, they can't find a guest room. 
And so the only place they can find is a spot where animals sleep. Now nearby were some shepherds with their flocks. And an angel appears, which, of course, freaks them out. But they're told to celebrate, because tonight in Bethlehem, a savior has been born. Yeah, they're told to go and find this baby, and they'll know that it's the Messiah because he's going to be wrapped up and laying in a grimy feeding trough. Yeah, which is pretty gross. Totally. And then these shepherds, who aren't very clean themselves, they go and find the newborn Jesus in this really dingy place, and their minds are blown. They go home wondering what on earth is about to happen. And this is all really strange. I mean, if God's really coming to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to arrive. Born in an animal shelter to a teenage girl, celebrated by no-name shepherds. Exactly. I mean, everything is backwards in Luke's story, and that's the point. He is showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor, because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. Hey, thanks for watching the Bible so, Project. This is the first okay, in a five-part series that watches through the entire Gospel of Luke. You can subscribe to our channel and see all of our future videos. You can also... So like, they, at the end of a lot of the videos, they give a, a kind of commercial about who they are and what they do. And uh, they're good, good stuff, guys. Uh, so, this is where we're starting today. We're starting Luke <coughs> chapter 1. We're just going to... Oh, not this one. Uh, I want this one. <coughs> We're going to read through uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2 today. So this, is, this will take some time, but we are studying the Gospel of Luke. So, um, and we're going to focus on a few things here. But like we talked about, these first four verses are kind of um, very important introduction. And we talked a little bit about the, that last week. Um, but they set up um, who, who Luke is and who, who he's writing. And he's, he's, he's finding eyewitnesses, right? So here we go. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account for, of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. So in the days of King Herod, of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife and his descendants of Aaron and uh, her name was Elizabeth. His wife was a descendant of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no <coughs> children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. So once when he was serving as a priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now, at that time, there was an incense offering. The whole assembly of the people were praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, and even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn away many people, excuse me, he will turn many of the people to, uh, of Israel to the Lord their God. 
With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him and turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will, it, will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did, not, uh, did come out, he could not speak to them, and he realized that, that they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was ended, he went home to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I endured, endured among my people. So we're going to pause here and, and consider um, some questions. Um, so, here's some questions to ask yourself when we're reading about Luke. Um, this is not, not original with me. I got things from someone else. But, um, maybe any gospel or any perhaps any portion of scripture these are some some ways of interpretation to to read and see what you know what's going on so why did the people write this story down in the first place why is this story endured what's the story that's unfolding here what can this story teach me about god what does the story say about what it means to be human what is the story uh, how does the story help us to better understand our stories why did these people think that this story is worth telling? And is there any lesson or principle in this story which is applicable to a society story or my story today? And this is a very much a story way of looking at the scripture and thinking about how it does. But I think it's helpful for me. Um, so, in that idea, what about, think about Zechariah's story right here, okay, in the temple. Um, would you have reacted like Zechariah to such a surprising turn of events? I mean, what, place yourself into this story for a moment and let it roll around in your mind. You know, what has God done in your life that's caught you by surprise? Um, but first of all, maybe we just turn to someone beside you and, and talk about the, this first question. How would you have reacted if you were Zechariah? Like, put yourself in this story. What, what, have you, what have you reacted? So answer that question with someone. And then two, the next thing, ask, is there something in your life that's parallel that's caught you by surprise? Okay, ready to go. <laughs> what would you have done? I I never 
About these, how would you have reacted? And or maybe you want to answer the second question. What what about what is something in your own life that's caught you by surprise? You know that God's maybe done anything that you can take from this that's really popping to mind that you, that you can share with, with us. No, no pressure if you don't. I'm not going to stand here until like someone says something. But um, is there anything from this that popped out in your conversation that you'd like to share with us? Yeah. This this doesn't exactly answer those questions, although I can, th- I can tie it back to Jumping off points. It does. Um, it, it, it's interesting to me that this story, since we've been talking story structure, that this, is, that this story about Jesus does not start with Jesus, uh, Yeah. which you typically will introduce your main character in a story first. It doesn't even start with John. It starts with Zechariah, which I, I think is partly done to tie the Old Testament narratives into the New and to show right. how those story arcs kind of repeat. Right. Um, but it's also interesting that the first character in Luke is a, a member of the religious establishment. Yeah. And the message to the member of the religious establishment is, you need to shut up for a while. Right. It's like, we're going to let Elizabeth talk, we're going to let Mary talk, you need to spend a few months listening before you say another word. And I think we're going to, if I if I remember Luke correctly, we're going to see that again and again and again, where members of the religious establishment come up to him, and he does something or says something that silences them. Um, and so... One of the, if I'm going to if I'm going to use that to actually answer one of your questions, one of the things that has been a difficult lesson for me to learn is that, as you can tell, that I was the first guy up here talking, um, is that sometimes you need to just shut up and listen, even when you think you have something to say. That's cool. Because I mean, here's I mean, here's an angel, and he comes in and he says, "I'm doing this is what we're going to do," and Zechariah says well, how do I know that this is what we're supposed to do? Right. And the response is basically, 
I'm a freaking angel. <laughs> right. I stand in the right hand of God. It's like, I'm Gabriel. How many, how many of us have you seen? Right. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. One, one thing that struck me with that is that the, the setting of this, I think, is important, too. It's in the temple. Yeah. And, and this will be major for um, the book of Luke going forward. Because it starts off in the temple. And um, What else? What are the thoughts? It also roots you in to let you know that both of these people are there. Number one, they're both of the Leviticus tribe. It says he's mm -hmm. she's the daughter of Aaron. Right. And then it also lets you know... Priestly tribe. The priestly tribe. So... It roots it in, like you said, the religious establishment. Right. It's his turn to come down here and serve. Mm -hmm. uh, and then this happens with this angel. And like we were talking about, I said, this is kind of interesting. He, he automatically saw this angel. I said, what was it about Gabriel that freaked him out so bad? There was something he had to see because it says he was terrified. Right. You know, this is the same response throughout Scripture when these people appear. The humans recognize there's something more than what we are. Automatically. I guess maybe the position or the time and the place, I don't know. But it is interesting how that story starts with that, but it also notes that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous people, mm -hmm. although she was typically, they were typically up in age and she was a barren woman, right. which was typically in the cultural, looked down upon as being something, maybe you did something unrighteous. Yeah, right. So I'll let you know off the bat that there's nothing that they've done that have got her here. She's barren, but God's about to do something. Right. Yeah. I think before we go down the road of, hey, he's the religious establishment, it says that they were both upright in the eyes of God. And so right. when I think of religious establishment, I think of the Pharisees, and they weren't upright in the eyes of God. They, To man they were, but the heart, Jesus, so my point in saying this is that he reacted like any other normal person you, look, you've already given up on having kids. He's well advanced. You, I would have thought it was a practical joke. I would right. like, are, are you kidding me? Like, right. So before we kind of like, I don't know, give a dim view of Zechariah's response, I think it's more natural than sure. most people. I, I, I would have had a similar response, I believe. I don't think right. I would have had a super faithful response. But Elizabeth yeah. married him. Right, that's true. The, 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 the women had uh, accepting responses. And that's what we're, one thing we're going to look at real fast here. The man um, questioned. But he would have he would have had a different response being a priest. He would have known the stories of other people having the same encounter, similar encounter. Right. Abraham, for instance. Exactly. Right. So, but knowing something. Right. In the temple, if you saw something holy, you would think you're dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's his turn to be in this very... Uh, Holy, holy area, you know, and so his once in a lifetime chance. Right, right. His his section was called. Y'all, before they tied a rope around the uh, high priest's leg and bells on his waist, so that when they hear the bells, they can pull him out of all the way. If he's if he faints or perhaps dies, and he's in there, um, they got they, no one can go in there and get him, but they have to have a way to get him out of this place. So. Because they can't enter unless right. they die too. You can imagine all the ropes. Um, there's something about this is you're not gonna be able to see this. This is more for me to be able to talk through. But this is from a, a commentary uh, called uh, let's see the Transforming Word Commentary that I, I use a lot. It's this big fat one volume commentary for the whole New Testament. It's put up by uh, Abilene Christian University, which I, I like. 
Um, but anyway, in this, there's, there's this thing that talks about women unique to Luke's gospel. Um, so, we're, like you mentioned, the, the women's response, Elizabeth we're going to see, and Mary's response is different than Zechariah's. But here's some, some women who only show up in Luke's gospel. Elizabeth, the, the daughters of Aaron, who are mentioned up. Like they're in one twenty forty two, there's something that says all women. And Anna in the temple here, uh, there's there's many widows in Israel that are mentioned. The widow of Zarephath, the widow of Nain, um, some wisdom personified as a woman. Uh, the the forgiving woman, uh, women with Jesus. So Joanna and Susanna and many others in eight one through three. Uh, Mary and Martha and, and this I guess maybe that instance with them perhaps. Um, the women who Mary Martha's in chapter 10 the women who praises Jesus' mother in 11, there's some maidservants in 12, there's a crippled woman in 13 a newlywed wife in 14 wives and sisters, woman, the woman who lost a coin in Luke 15 there's a mention of prostitutes in 15 Lot's wife is mentioned uh, there's an, an inopportune widow in, in what in Important. What is that? I don't know. There's a widow mentioned in chapter 18. Uh, there's a wife, and there's parents, and there's women. So there's a lot of instances of women who are only mentioned in, in Luke, and that's a thing that you'll keep you'll see coming up. And then there's also men and women are paired in Luke. This is another one that probably is just for me to read through. But Zechariah and Mary are perhaps a pairing here. We see a song in um in one of Mary, you know, uh, Mary's song, and then in Zechariah sings a song. Simeon and Anna in chapter two, which we'll see, and then there's there's you know the, the widow of uh, Zarephath and then Naaman are contrasted, and um, I I can't read them all, but there as you'll see, it may be even like the the road to Emmaus, perhaps like two two women two witnesses and two men are on the road to uh, women witnesses, um, so like. There's, there's so many here that I'm not going to read through. But as you see, there's going to be themes of like preparing. So we're going to look at this, this uh, next part. I want us to look, get to um, Mary's song here in Luke 1, 46 through 55, which we're about to get to. And Mary's song is often called the Magnificat, okay? after the first word uh, in the Latin Vulgate of you know, magnificent, Magnificat. It expresses several prominent themes in Luke. And it's compared to um, 1 Samuel 2, 1-10, through 10, where Hannah, a barren woman, she sings this song of praise to the Lord after she has given birth to her son Samuel. And um, there's, there's some thematic similarities the, to that. So, but let's, let's go back and keep reading here um, in Luke chapter 1. And here we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? 
And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child uh, to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and in this sixth month for her whom was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. And in those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child in her womb, uh, the child leapt, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And then here comes Mary's The Magnificat song. One of the reasons why I was playing that song earlier. There's been many versions of the Magnificat like sung in churches over the years. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the holy, lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away. He has helped the servant Israel and in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. So I want to, to look at uh, this commentary points out four things here that Mary's Magnificat here um, gives several prominent themes in Luke. So first, Mary praises the Lord because God has done great things. So this is this praising of God and God gonna, is going to do many great things and events here in the book of Luke. Um, second, God shows mercy on the lowly in society and the humble and the hungry. Luke has a whole lot about um, the, the lower caste, these Anid, these, these people who have been uh, this grand reversal of uh, their, their plights being turned um, back to, to good. Um, third, God shows judgment on the proud, the rulers, and the rich. This is foreshadowing Luke's interest in the, the use of possessions and the themes of reversal. Luke Luke's talk, talks a lot about um, rich people and poor people and the, and the possessions and how to use those things. Um, and fourth, Luke portrays God as faithful to Abraham and his descendants forever. At the end, she has there's this statement connecting back to this story of Israel, their story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the, God, and the fulfillment of, of this. This is just... Um, a, a quick um, example. So, I, one of the things that how do I how do I make this you know impactful for me? Something that I think about 
with this. If, if you've been to graduate school for Bible, it's dangerous because you just, I feel like I just learned a little bit about so many things. And I'm not like an expert in very many of them at all. But one of the things that I was exposed to that I'd never been exposed to previously was this idea of uh, Theotokos. Everyone heard of this term, Theotokos? The, the God-bearer. This, this thing of, this idea of uh, Mary being the God-bearer is helpful to me in my life. And I want to, to talk th- about this a little bit. Um, but there's this, this lady, her name is, um, let's see, I, I'm forgetting her, her name right now, Frederica Green. Um, it'll show it right here. But she's, she's a, an Orthodox Christian. Um, so uh, like some of you in here know church history way better than I do. But that just for if, you're, if you're hazy on what that might be, so you have the Catholic Church, right, who's been around for forever. But then around 1,000 somewhere, the Orthodox Church had a great schism with the Catholic Church, and then they, they broke off. Anyone want to pipe in on that and, and give me better instruction on that? Is that a good thumbnail description? Yeah, basically the Orthodox Church wanted to use icons right. as the thing, while the Catholic Church was like, we're not having that. And right. that's what caused that whole thing. Great schism over icons. Icons are a flat, two-dimensional representation of a saint. Okay. Whereas the Catholic Church uses statues. You said no, no, yeah. So there's, uh, yeah, there's so big schism, and then so they set, basically set up their own pope-like structure, and that still exists today. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of really cool spirituality in the Orthodox Church that I can learn from and benefit from, and this is one of the things uh, that is helpful to me. So let's. See. Frederica Matthews Green is this lady's name. It's not loud, but I'll turn it down if I need to. You'll find at Orthodox, um, very often they don't say Mary or Virgin Mary. Uh, they say Theotokos, which is a Greek word, and it means God-bearer. This was a very important um, title for her back in the early centuries, because the debate at that time was about who is Christ, was Jesus Christ really the Son of God, or was he just a human being that God blessed and turned into his Son? Maybe at the baptism he says, this is my beloved Son. Was he really 100% God, or just partly God, or was he 100% God and not human at all? A lot of debates about that. So in those early centuries, in the middle of all that confusion, as the church sorted out what it meant to say he is fully God, he is fully man at the same time. One of the ways they expressed that by say, was by saying, the Virgin Mary, when she was pregnant, the child in her womb was already God. So to say she is the Theotokos, she is the God-bearer, is really to make a theological point about Christ and about him being God and the Son of God throughout all eternity and in his earthly life from the moment of conception onwards. All right, so if you can take that idea of Theotokos and then say, what do we learn from, from Mary being this, this God-bearer? So I, I had Luke 1 and 2 and maybe even 3, and this is the part that I wanted to land on because I've, it's helpful for me and instructive in my life. What if we use this as a spiritual discipline point? What if we say that we too have 
as ambassadors for Christ, maybe the way Paul would put it, right? We have this this uh, commission to be God bearers into the world. That we are to have God live inside of us in this, you know, not the same literal way that we believe Mary did, but God to live inside of us and grow inside of us and be born into the world and to be to be presented to the world. I, this has been presented to me as a as a thought, you know, experiment as as to help us in our own spiritual formation, our own spiritual discipline. To like to, to see Mary as this um, uh, exemplar in this in this way. To like, what would it have been like to be the person who the image of God, the God, God, God Himself, right? Because see, this whole terminology came came about because the controversies of what, Jesus' divinity. And it, you know, it said on here, you could see the Third Ecumenical Council. You know, for more information, there'd probably be pages and pages of. Of, of documents there that you know there's, this is an old historical thing but what for, for me and for you I uh, if spoiler alert for Josh's sermon later he s- says something similar to that if that what you actually believe is is what you live out you know you you live out what you believe right something like that That's what theology. yeah and so like I, I think that what what come like the fruit you bear is 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 evidence to what you believe so for me one of the things that's helpful for me, and maybe for you, and I would love for you just to, to dialogue about this idea, is like, what what would it look like for you to have this concept of like, for this week, how am I going to be similar to Mary in this Theotokos in the world? How am I going to bear God into this world? I'm not saying literally, right? But I'm saying to be God's ambassador, to, to bring God's presence into this world in your sphere of influence this week. Like, what does that look like for you? And does that... Um, what does that do for you? So if you would, just turn, and I know that's a hard question, just discuss something similar. What, what do you think about this idea of Mary being the Theotokos and this idea of Mary bringing God into the world? And what, how does that intersect with your life? All right? If you would, just turn and talk to someone about that briefly, and then we're, we're wrapping up. She's <laughs> a